All right, we're back. This is episode 43, and this evening I was lucky enough to have a chance to speak with Jody Lai. Jody is the editor in chief for AutoGuide. It took me a minute for the magnitude and importance of that statement to set in, and once it did, I felt pretty humbled. This was a big night, and getting to know how someone of her stature ticks was a genuine honor. And as a very common thread between my guests, she's dedicated incredibly committed to her craft, and endlessly hardworking. If you had a chance to come across her work or her team's work, it's very apparent. From coming home from the hospital in a 911 SC, to a first article about a Honda Fit, to wheeling a Panamera Sport Turismo next week, she's never stopped surrounding herself with cool cars, and I think we should all be very thankful for that. So enjoy getting to know Jody, how she got into cars, journalism, automotive journalism, and the journey that got her there. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne, and this is the Bucket Seed Podcast. (laughs) Okay, so... We're here. It's episode 43 of the Bucket Seat Podcast. And I'm super pumped to have Jody Lai here on the show tonight. So, Jody, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, um, so Jody is the editor in chief of autoguide.com, a phenomenally well styled human, and of course, a car lover. You're too kind. <laughs> <laughs> as for um, your role at, uh, it was as editor in chief at Autoguide. So, for those who don't know and you're into cars, you've probably been living under a rock because of the go-to source for everything you need to know in the automotive world. Mainly some a lot of new stuff. Yep. Um, and I mean, we're tracking in the millions of visits a month. So this isn't a, uh, this isn't a, a small mark on the automotive landscape. So tonight we're going to get to know Jody um, and how someone makes their rise through the wildly competitive world of automotive journalism and ends up behind the wheel at autoguide.com. But first, as I do with all my guests, I like to start where it all started, at the beginning. So we start off with what it was that got you into cars. So what inspired or hooked you? So you want to go back to the beginning. This is as beginning as it gets. Yeah, it is. (laughs) So my parents brought me home from the hospital in a Porsche 911 SC. Come on. Yes, they put a little baby seat in those little tiny jump seats and they brought me home as like a one day old baby. (laughs) Tell me they still have that SC. No, none of their cool cars they kept. They had so many cool cars when I was growing up and even before I came along, but they kept none of them. Oh man. (laughs) Which breaks my heart even to think about it. Um, But yeah, that's kind of where it all got started. My parents were big car people. I grew up around cars. I was kind of the son my dad never had. Okay. (laughs) So, you know, I was always, as a kid, I always loved cars. Always played with Hot Wheels and that little rug that looks like a road. Way more than dolls and stuff. (laughs) So it started when I was a real baby. (laughs) Amazing. I have one of those rugs with the, you know, the roadway and the parking garage and everything for my little guy too. I mean, I try to encourage him to play with it as much as possible. (laughs) Um, What was the first car you owned? That's a weird story. So my dad was um, always part of the car dealership world. So we had cars coming and going. So I never actually owned a car until about 10 years ago. Um, The first car I drove was probably a really old Volvo. I did my driving test in a super old like brick turbo Volvo and it was great. I have such good memories with that. 
Uh, I got my first speeding ticket in a Volkswagen Beetle. Um, yeah. And the first car I owned is the car I have now. No kidding. Really? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So what, so what is that car? It's a 2008 Volkswagen Rabbit. Ah, nice. Which it's not the cool rabbit. It's not the old rabbit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's been absolutely amazing through these 10 years. <laughs> That's crazy. So, I mean, and that was, so that kind of covers a couple of the questions. And in terms of the first one, you was that a uh, a car that you tinkered with? Like, do you tinker with cars? Not at all. I'll, I'll do general maintenance. Like I'll swap tires or I'll change lights or wipers on my own, but that's where my tinkering ends. I don't futz with anything. <laughs> that's pretty fair. I mean, <laughs> yeah, getting beyond that as a wrench, I mean, you're getting pretty involved. Um, what was the cool car everyone had to have when you were in high school? I feel like my perspective in high school is different because I was obsessed with 911 turbos when I was in high school. Oh I don't know if everyone else was. I feel like <laughs> I feel like in high school everyone just wanted a Mustang or something. Ah, you know how many people come on and say that it's like everyone wanted a five liter Mustang. Yeah, Everybody or even just a Mustang. Car. Period. I think it was just one of those cool status things that even people who don't know about cars they know that a Mustang is cool, so that's just right. what they gravitate towards. Right. <laughs> yeah, and even in that day too. I mean, the that five liter is like. As long as it had that on the on that front quarter panel, that's what everybody had. I to drive have. it. Now, did you um did you grow up in Toronto? Yes, I was born in Toronto. Grew up in Markham. Pretty much lived here my entire life. Right. Yeah. Um. Okay. So we talked about your daily driver. So you've got your 2008 Rabbit. Yep. And is that what you drove here today? It is. What I'm sorry it couldn't be anything more exciting. Uh, next week I have a. Panamera Turbo Wagon coming, which I'm Come so on. excited is it for. The Sport Turismo, is yes. that what that is? Oh my god! And I feel like such a cliche of an automotive <laughs> journalist, but I'm like, woo, wagons! <laughs> um, I think that's totally okay because, in my opinion, that's one of the most attractive vehicles that I've seen in many, many years. And it's better than the regular Panamera. It totally is. It's so good. I think they perfected what that 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 Panamera should have always been yep. with that Sport Turismo design. God, it's so good. The first time I saw a rendering of it, I didn't believe they would ever make it. Yeah. But now, oh, I can't believe you have that. That's I'll bring so it by cool. next week. It'll That's be awesome. That's so cool. Uh, that is one of the probably top three cars on my list of what I wish I could have. I'm such a wagon fan. I love wagons in I every capacity. You. And I think that's been the kind of the epitome of wagon to me is that sport that's awesome. God, that's awesome i saw an e63 s wagon today for mm. the first time mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's that's the other one <laughs> i gave them a big thumbs up <laughs> yeah. and they just looked at me like who's this crazy person <laughs> that's so good yeah they pull up beside you and you're like why but you know what though the person who's driving that i'm, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say most cases knows what that thing is to anybody else who loves cars and mm -hmm. a thumbs up is complete validation <laughs> She looked really confused, though. I don't know. I, I don't think I'm that threatening, but maybe she felt threatened. I don't yeah. know. She's <laughs> yeah. like, what are you talking about with the thumbs up? Um, okay. So um, moving into your life as a journalist and as an editor or as an editor-in-chief, to be exact, you've been with AutoGuide for almost three years now. Um, you've had an interesting journey to that. But first, why don't you tell us what an editor-in-chief does? It's a lot, um, especially in this new kind of media environment. An editor-in-chief er, editor just does so many different things. So I'm really kind of the gatekeeper of all the content. So I look at all the content before it hits the reader. I have to make sure it's not only is it accurate and all the grammar is correct, but I really have to make sure that it's understandable, that it's entertaining, that people can learn something from it. Um, and, and, you know, that that 
I can tell that the writer had fun writing it. I think that's a big aspect of writing that a lot of people maybe don't think about. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And so other than the actual editing, you know, it's content, it's um, scheduling, it's taking care of all the invites that come in for all those, you know, glamorous, exotic trips that of we're course. so lucky to go on. Yeah. And just, um, you know, I have, I, I take care of all my guys. Like I try to mentor them to become better writers, better presenters. And that's probably my favorite part of the job besides the obvious. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, that's sport turismo. It's a pretty high point. <laughs> it's a pretty good um, perk. How many people on the team at AutoGuide? It's a weird structure, but I think in total we have about 10. Wow. Some of them don't work um, in Toronto. Some of them are kind of offsite. Right. But uh, yeah, I have about 10 people. That's a lot of work coming through. So, and you see every piece of that. Obviously, your stamps on it as every piece goes out. I try. Or is it's hard to kind of put my my stamp on everything sure. that crosses my desk, but I try to make sure you know that the voice is there and that like the headlines are catchy. I feel like Auto Guide has a very distinct voice, and I try to always make sure that's front and center. And now, in terms of the kind of volume of content that you guys are producing, um, what kind of schedule are you on? Like, how much are you guys publishing on a regular basis? Um, I'd say in a week, we publish probably 80 to 90 pieces of content. Wow. And that's anything from like news to reviews to comparisons and videos and all that kind of stuff. So it's a lot of content. Yeah, wild. Yeah. Um, and I know having had um, Sammy Hajasad on the show as well, and I mean, Sammy has been recognized for his role from a video content production standpoint and, um, you know, his personality and his position within all those videos. So how has video been playing as part of the overall kind of content? I don't want to say strategy. We don't have to get super deep into that. But how has that been playing in terms of what Auto Guide is, do Auto Guide is doing? Because, I mean, it's been really good content. Oh, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting because Auto Guide was one of the first kind of automotive outlets to start doing YouTube videos. We started back in 2009, which was even before I got on board, but they were kind of early adopters. And yeah. I think it's because of that. Like we just hit 300,000 subscribers. Wow, which I'm congratulations. So, That's thank huge. Thank you so much. I was so excited. Did you get a plaque when you hit 100,000? Yeah, you I do. You get a plaque, right? I don't know if you get a plaque for 300K. Maybe 500. I'm going to email them and ask because I want that plaque. <laughs> like I need to know when we get the next <laughs> plaque. It's good. It's a good time to have a celebration. Yeah, I think that's pretty exciting. And so because we were early adapters, um, I think that kind of helped us to where we are now. Uh, and I think there's a lot of people who just started who are doing amazing. And so right. that's, you know, it, it just depends on what people want. And I think because we're kind of also changing up the format of how we do videos, um, we like trying new things. You know, I like telling people to have fun with the videos and you know not be so serious because i think people it comes across as more genuine more authentic sometimes when we script things too much it just falls flat so i try to avoid that now right there's a lot of that that goes on out there and i'm, I'm not saying it's a bad thing but there are just, you know it seems like the sea of content producers when it comes to automotive tend to just be the factual delivery of everything that's happening and you can tell that you guys have fun with it a bit too and i I'm think glad. we can find that that line that you kind of blur entertainment and informational um, is where you hit the sweet spot. But um, we won't talk about Venn diagrams. But <laughs> um, So we're going to go back in time a little bit. So knowing the role that you're in now as editor in chief, um, you obviously had to start somewhere. Yes. And from an automotive journalist standpoint, um, you know, journalism is clearly the, the 
you know, the starting point for all of it. So tell us how it started. What was it that made you want to get into journalism in general? So I always knew from when I was very, very young that I was going to write in some capacity. Of course, back then I had no idea that an automotive journalist was even a job, a <laughs> yeah. real job that I could have one day. But I did know I was going to write, mm -hmm. um, you know, novelist, not going to make any money as a novelist. So, OK, maybe a journalist would be good. So I uh, graduated from Ryerson from their Bachelor of Journalism program. Mm -hmm. And early on in that program, I landed an unpaid internship at Post Driving, which is how I kind of got into this game uh -huh. and it was interesting because my resume went down a chain of maybe four different people it was a person who knew a person who knew another person who knew another person and that person at the end was the editor of post driving at the time oh, wow yeah. okay and so your um your resume and any of the work that you'd kind of been working on while you were in school um did and was any of that automotive content um a lot of the stuff was Oh, cool. I did a lot. I did my first review, I think, when I was 19 and it was of a Honda Fit <laughs> and it was the coolest awesome. thing ever. Um, yeah. Well, the but, Honda Fit, I do admit, is kind of an underappreciated vehicle for what it is. Yeah. But I mean, also for the first the first car to put someone new in, you know, they're obviously not going to hand me the keys to an AMG Benz or something. So I was mm -hmm. super happy to have a Honda Fit and I'm still happy to get a Fit these yeah. days. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so that was, I mean, in terms of your first gig then, so post media and post driving, mm -hmm. um, that was your, that was kind of your foray into everything that is automotive journalism. So, um, can you take us through the progression kind of from that first auto writing gig to, I mean, was that the moment that you decided you were dedicating to automotive journalism? Or did you stray from that? Or how did you kind of experiment through that period? Yeah, so during the early part of my career, I did do a lot of writing for other desks at the newspaper. So I did a stint as a beat reporter, which was terrible because I'm not built for that kind of journalism. So they would, because I was the junior, I was the intern, they would send me out, um, oh, hey, Jody, there was a shooting. Can you just go knock on some doors and get some reactions? No kidding. And I would wow. show up to people's doors and they would like slam them in my face. So I just realized I'm not built for this kind of journalism. Mm -hmm. And so because I already had a foothold in the auto journalism world, I kind of stuck with that because it was so much fun. And I had such good mentors too. Um, so who were those mentors? Um, you might not know him, but Brian Harper, who okay. he's a freelancer for uh, Post Driving Still. Mm -hmm. And so I worked with him from the very beginning. He basically taught me everything I know about automotive journalism. Uh, and he's the nicest guy the most patient, gracious, there's no ego there. Such a great guy. That's amazing. Cause I mean, my next question was along the way, kind of who did you find inspiration from automotive or non-automotive? So clearly Brian was one of those people. Brian was one of those. Jill McIntosh was one of those people. Um, it's it's actually kind of hard as a like a female auto journalist to find that mentor because there's just not that many of us. Mm -hmm. And so I latched on to like Jill and Lorraine Sommerfeld as soon as I realized they existed. I'm like, I'm not letting go of these ladies because they're so good at what they do. Yeah, they really are. Yeah. Yeah, they really are. Um, so in terms of, you know, the people that you, you know, you looked up to at that point, that's kind of clear in terms of now. Like, I mean, has there any been anyone else that you know, through your journey to this point, you've found and you've, um, you know, you still look up to the, to, to this day. It might not be a Canadian automotive journalist, might not even be an automotive journalist, but um, okay. who, who are those people or who would that be? I seem to gravitate to a lot of people who I just think are really cool. 
like Basim Wasif. I don't know if you know him, but he does freelance for a whole bunch of different American publications and Automobile Mag is one of them. Mm. And he's so talented and just the nicest guy too. <laughs> and that's just so refreshing. Yeah, I mean, I imagine. So. Was, can you re repeat the name again? Basim Wasif. I'll send you the link. Okay. Cool. To okay. his well, Instagram we'll post that in kind of the show notes as well. Yeah. Um, so throughout your career, there have definitely been like all of us, good, bad, ugly moments. If you could start with an ugly moment, I know it's it's always important, I think, for people to understand that the world of automotive journalism, as much as I think we all, or say, not we all, there are a lot of us that would look at automotive journalism and go, wow, how amazing would it be to travel across the world in someone else's dime all the time driving the coolest cars on the <laughs> planet? And then your job is to write about them. I mean, it seems so glamorous, but I'm sure there is a not so glamorous side of it. And, and in terms of your exposure to it, what would you say is is one of those ugly moments? Um, so there's actually two. I mean, like most of my job, 90% of it is behind a desk looking at spreadsheets and Google Analytics and stuff like that, which is not very sexy. Um, and have you seen the YouTube comments? Oh my God. They're awful. And that's probably <laughs> the one of the hardest things for me to deal with as an automotive journalist is that awful criticism. Like it's not even constructive criticism. No, you're right. Because <laughs> I would welcome constructive criticism, but this is just like, it's just terrible, terrible stuff. Yeah, the internet is really, really evil in a lot of ways. And I yeah. mean, I see that we do. I mean, my job, as we've talked about too, it, from the commercial world and the advertising world, I mean, we really open ourselves up to a lot of criticism and we all have to have that kind of sobering moment where like, you know what, one in 10 comments might actually be nice. Yeah. And, and if you can get a better ratio than that, it really feels fulfilling. <laughs> yeah. And it's actually kind of nice sometimes because sometimes if a nasty commenter says something, there will be some people who come to my defense, which is always so nice to see and right. also very refreshing. Um, but the other thing that's hard about the job is sometimes um, you can't turn it off. So being an editor in chief for a big publication, you know, I have emails all hours of the day. I don't really take a real vacation where I truly, truly unplug. Mm -hmm. I there's always I'm always really paranoid that something's going on and I need to deal with it. Of course, um, you know, long days, auto show days are grueling sometimes. But I'm still, besides all that, I still feel really lucky to do what I do. <laughs> That's amazing. I think it's pretty telling in terms of your your love and passion for the automotive industry. Otherwise, you would have burnt out a long time ago and gone to done, gone to do something else. Totally. Exactly. <laughs> so speaking of that, I mean, your motivation and staying motivated to do what you do on a day to day basis. Is there anything automotive, not automotive based that keeps you sorry that keeps you you know inspired and motivated to do what you're doing every day? I think just a lot of what I do has to do with like proving the haters wrong, which I know is a weird motivation, mm -hmm. but it does It's play. a powerful one though. It is a powerful motivator because I just I feel like I'm so driven to succeed because so many people thought I couldn't do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Tell just dare to tell me that I can't do it. Yeah, and just watch me do this mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I'll do it amazingly. <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. I I totally hear that. Um I like that. And I mean I know though that there are certain things like you you do things outside of automotive. Um you know, when I started doing my research on you as well and I started looking at kind of the things outside of automotive that you do you've got a pretty cool you've got a pretty cool eye to just generally um 
everything style related. And is, is that, do you feel like that, is that a release for you? Is that something, maybe you can kind of elaborate on it for people that are listening. Cause I think it's important to have that outlet. Right. So if, if the, the listeners don't know, my Instagram profile is completely non-car related. Like <laughs> right, if you yeah, land on it, don't expect cars when you go there. think it's the wrong Jody because yeah. I, I hardly ever post cars. Once in a while, you'll see like an F-type pop up or like a Challenger or something really cool, but it's very, very rare. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's true. It's very true. Yeah. And so I, I'm lucky enough to travel a lot. I, I eat a lot of food. I, I enjoy style, architecture. I have a lot of interest outside of cars, even though I'm so passionate about cars, I feel like it could get maybe tiring to do it 24 seven. You know, like I I talk about cars all day, so maybe I don't want to go to a dinner and just talk about cars some more, although I'm happy to be on this podcast talking about cars. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) That's all I ever want to do. No, I get that. No, there are are more things to life than than cars. And um, it's really cool to see I feel like if if you were to if anyone listening is able to go and take a look at and follow even just your Instagram uh, account, it's so interesting to see how your eye works and what inspires you and what is really interesting in your life, and then to go and see what is you know essentially being curated through Auto Guide. Like I feel like there's an interesting connection between all of that, and it's a, it's it's a very flattering one. So, oh, thank um, you. you. know, I hope you I hope you keep going that that, that path because um, if Auto Guide can take any cues and tips from what you're doing in your personal life and your personal kind of following with Instagram, it's um it's a really really cool one. I I also think it's just a good reminder to remind myself and other people that there is a world outside of cars. And cars can be interesting to people who aren't gearheads, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of um, automotive media forget about those people who maybe have a passing interest in car design or, you know, they like cars, but they're not really, really into them. Like they don't live and breathe it. Right. Those people exist. And it's those kind of people that I try to open Autoguide up to. Yeah. I don't want it to be so gearhead enthusiast driven that it drives everyone else away. Right. And I think it's so important to bring new people into the whole world of automotive enthusiasm. And like you're talking about, I mean, through art and through fashion, through culture, through architecture, all of those things have had really significant influences on automotive design Yes, um, and engineering to that effect as well. And I think once you start to kind of spread your uh, general kind of understanding and and open your mind to what those things are in life. I, I, f- I really start to see all of these funny and inadvertent ties to the automotive world on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And I really love that. I start to enjoy it and go, oh my God, okay, that's where Jajaro got that inspiration from. Or I understand now how that happened or why that fabric was chosen. Right. Um, they're just really cool ties to it. And of course, it all goes back to me. My brain is just such a, <laughs> it just works in automotive world. But right. um, it's really uh, refreshing to be able to take that break and I encourage everyone to do that. <laughs> well, it's also about just making it more accessible. Like for the longest time, um, I, I hate keep to having to bring this up, but like as a, as a girl enthusiast, sometimes the automotive world isn't that welcoming. Um, and so... Any any girl who's been singled out at a car meet, like, oh, who are you with? You know, are you with your boyfriend? Oh my god! Like, right. No, I'm here yep. with my own cool car. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I just I just really want to make the uh, automotive sphere a lot more inclusive. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's 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 wild. You know, a really good um, 
a really good um, Instagram account to follow is Jessie Combs. And if you get a chance to like check out, she is such a badass. I love everything that she's doing. And I, I hope that when my daughter Remy is old enough to understand it, that I can show her what Jessie has done, what you've done and go like it doesn't like it literally has no bearing on what ends up happening in automotive. Like you can be just as cool and as badass as anyone else that's out there. I really hope that that ends up being the direction that we all go. But anyways, we won't belabor that because <laughs> I know that obviously it's a um, it can be a pretty it can be a pretty tough world. And I've seen both sides of it, too, professionally. And I've seen it through big organizations and small organizations. And it's not a it's not a nice thing, but I think it is changing. I'm hoping that it's changing. I think feeling so too. That way too. Yeah. I mean, it's it's there's definitely a progression there and I'm happy to kind of I don't want to say I'm a part of it, but yeah, you are I think absolutely the, you are. the visibility that I have on camera and like running these auto shows and stuff. I think people, people like me might see that and be like, oh, well, I didn't know I could do that. Totally. And I've gotten amazing. I don't want to say fan mail, but like amazing emails from people who are like, oh, Jody, you're it's it's so nice to see um, an Asian on camera doing all these things Like I didn't know this was possible. And whenever I get stuff like that, which isn't often, but it does happen, it just makes me melt. Oh, it's got to feel so I'm just, good. It feels so good. Oh. <laughs> well, that's also it goes back to the questions before about what kind of motivates and inspires you. And that's got to be a pretty nice one. Yeah. Um, okay. So talking about some of those people that are listening out there that might be on the cusp of making that decision in life. If there's a budding journalist out there, it's a tough question, but um, what's the best advice that no one gave you? Well, I'll say two things. The best advice that someone did give me is not to be lazy. Uh-huh. Okay. And that right. applies to automotive journalism and life in general. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe something that someone didn't tell me was was how difficult it might be for someone like me to actually succeed. Um, and again, I hate to keep bringing this up, but this, the system is kind of built against, you know, a certain... If you if you don't fit into that mold, it's automatically a little bit harder for you, right? Absolutely. Um, and so I just went into it thinking, yeah, this is awesome. I can do this. I'm qualified. I think I'm going to do really well. And then immediately people would try to, you know, take a crap on all, all your success and just try to take it away from you. And so, like, luckily, I've had a lot of supportive people. Um, but for every supportive person, there's a whole bunch of people who don't want to see you succeed. Right. <laughs> like the whole Internet <laughs> the it's whole like, internet yeah. um, completely unforgiving and not motivational in any way I mean that's why it blows my mind that I mean with auto guide the, auto guide is you know I mean that the internet presence on auto guide is so um, undeniable and the fact that you have such a huge following too I mean I'm so happy that you're doing what you're doing <laughs> and that this is the way that it's worked because um, I, I can't see it going kind of I can't see it regressing or I hope I don't see it regressing um and I mean with that I mean there are aside from the challenges faced uh, that you faced um as you've kind of made your way through this career as a journalist period um there are some there are some challenges that you face especially when now you move into this automotive world and we talked about the glamorous world of automotive and automotive journalism and how you, uh, I think a lot of people probably look at it as a you know, place that is just like a fun job. You get to travel around the world and do whatever you want to do and drive cool cars <laughs> and you come back and you write about it. 
Um, but in terms of like the travel schedule and, um, and trying to make that work, like, can you shed some light on how that as that part of your job is also uh, challenging and demanding? I mean, it's it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky because I don't have kids. So that makes things a lot easier. And I don't see myself having kids, mm -hmm. which makes things a lot, a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. um, but I'm also lucky that I have a really reliable team. And so Sammy takes a lot of the travel. Yes, yeah, Sammy. Um, and he does <laughs> such a good job of it. And he never complains about it because mm -hmm. he he knows it's a privilege to do what we do. And so he he never complains about it. Um, and so he he actually takes a lot of the travel. I'm I'm actually trying to cut down on the amount of traveling that I'm doing. Right. Well, I mean, and, and it, although um, I think the destinations are probably like the really sexy and appealing part of it. You're like, oh, we're going to Portofino, you know, we're off to the Amalfi Coast or we're going to Iceland for right. something crazy or oh, Southern California again. How crazy and cool is that? Um, if, if I understand it correctly, a lot of the times, I mean, you're flying on the weirdest hours of flights just to get there, arrive, maybe not even sleep, get in a van or get in a transit and off you go to a track or you go to a destination, drive immediately in yeah. the car for a day, stay in a nice hotel overnight, next day, back to the hotel, back to the <laughs> hotel or back to the track, then back to the airport. And then you fly home. And it's like, there, it's not like you're there extending your vacation and, and you know, enjoying what, all of Italy has to offer. Right. You're just on a crazy jam-packed schedule that gets you in and out in the most, you know, compact time. Possible. Exactly. And that's exactly it happens a lot. You know, you'll you'll hop into a car right in the airport after being awake for 24 hours and you're driving on a track and you haven't slept in 30 hours. And it's it's scary, but at the same time, I, I don't want to complain about it because what we do is so cool. Yeah. Even if it requires not sleeping, I'm okay with that. Um <laughs> But it can be tough sometimes, you know, especially keeping in touch with your loved ones at home. The time difference makes it hard to like FaceTime and stuff like that. Um, and then when I'm not at my desk, things pile up. So that's exactly why I'm trying to cut back on the amount of traveling I do, because it's it's hard for me to mentor my team and create really good content if I'm not there. Right. <laughs> well, and trying to stay up with just like the you know, sheer volume of emails, I'm sure that you're getting on a regular basis and all of the other things that pile up on top of that. Um, you can't be distracted while you're out on the road or you're doing, you know, you're on these tours or whatever ends up happening because mm -hmm. you have to focus on what it is you're in that moment driving this vehicle and you're, you know, being, you're expected to have an opinion on it, but yeah. you've got a million things and you're answering a hundred emails. I mean, it's crazy. That's a crazy demanding job. But also during those trips, you have to, you know, schmooze with the PR people, talk to other journalists, some of them you might not like. So it's, it, it is a lot of work. Um, and the other thing is auto shows too, because, you know, Geneva was earlier this month. And so people are like, wow, you're going to Geneva. That's so cool. How glamorous. Mm -hmm. But I did not do anything. I saw my hotel and the convention center and I was just back and forth between those two spots the entire time. <laughs> yeah, right. And that's just how auto shows are. Auto shows are a big grind, but they're so rewarding at the same time. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. And I mean, we'll talk about that in a minute because I think that, you know, the, well, I know that the most recent show that you went to was the New York International Auto mm -hmm. Show. And so with that, you know, you've got a keen eye and clearly as editor in chief, that's very important to your role. You know, what was the, you know, what was kind of 
the highlights? What are some of the best in show? Like, what did you see that was really interesting this year um, from your perspective? Yeah, so usually when I go to an auto show, I know about every single car that's about to debut. There are no surprise. I'm very difficult to surprise in terms of auto show stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but New York, uh, the new Genesis Essentia concept, nobody knew it was coming. Yeah, that's still, that's news to me. I've got to check it out. It's gorgeous. It, the design is just so fluid and so clean. And it has billionaire doors, so it's automatically a lot cooler, right? But it's not, of course. it's not, nothing about its design is cliched at all. It's, it's very fresh and very new. Is and it, sorry, and um, this is, you know, totally new to me. Coupe or sedan? It's a coupe. It's a grand touring coupe, but it's also uh, all electric, oh, no which shit. is very interesting. Is it Essentia? Essentia. Essentia. Yeah. Ah, okay. Definitely gonna have to check that out. Everybody yeah. listening, Google it now. It's so beautiful. And my favorite thing about it was that it was a huge surprise. They didn't tease it. Like, you know how automakers just love sending out a shot of like a headlight or like a right. bumper and you know it's coming. It's like the nobody, classic move. Yeah. yeah. Nobody knew this was coming. Hmm. And they rolled it out. It was the end of the show on day one. It was like four o'clock. And that's when most people have already left. And then they did this massive review or a reveal. And then people had to circle back and come back to see it because it was so cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the Genesis brand has been, I mean, arguably doing one of the most interesting things um, for an automaker that's taken a complete departure and, and reinvented the idea of luxury or affordable luxury in the segment. Um, was there anything else from Genesis that was, I mean, have they been, is there anything else in that that you uh, saw The was new G70 also came out. I mean, oh, we've G70. seen it before, okay. but yep. the G70 yep. is a really interesting product because it kind of goes after uh, the BMW 3 Series mm -hmm, mm -hmm. kind of segment. But the really interesting thing about Genesis is that they're not actually trying too hard to chase the Germans. It's, it's cool that they're cool with being who they are. Yeah, they're really trying to embrace their identity as a Korean luxury brand. And I think that is so cool because, you know, like, you know, Cadillac gets a lot of flack for chasing the Germans too hard. You know, why don't you just embrace your own identity? And so I think Genesis, right. they have so much to prove. And so they just said, let's just do something different. And I think it's working for them. Their stuff is really good these days. I think so too. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, they're still going along the whole... Um, path of you don't ever need to go to a dealership in order right. to, to work with it or to have your vehicle serviced or to the whole purchase process all that they don't want you at the hyundai or they're Kia trying store. to make it a lot easier and they're trying to give you more value so you know they'll come pick up your car for service drop it off give you a loaner genesis in the meantime like they're trying to make it that's just this new idea of luxury that they're trying to play with that if something is truly luxurious it won't take up any of your time because right. time is the biggest luxury you can have. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a real advantage to that whole philosophy, I think. Um, anything else? Like anything else wild and crazy? I mean, the, you know, the whole, I think the, uh, the whole Kia Stinger, you know, shine has totally faded now that everyone's driven it and mm -hmm. everybody's been in it. It's still awesome and wild. But um, what else outside of, is there anything else from anyone that stood out? The New York show is really interesting because it's really consumer focused. So it's a lot of cars that might not be exciting, but they are very re relevant. Like the new okay. RAV4, the new Forester, yeah, right. not sexy cars. But of course, the Forester is amazing. They'll Forster's sell amazing. boatloads of them though, right? <laughs> yeah. They will, yeah. Yeah. My favorite thing about doing auto shows is talking to executives and interviewing designers and stuff like that. Cool. And so I had a fascinating conversation with uh, Luke Donkerval, which I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong, but he is the uh, lead global designer for Genesis and he used to work at Lamborghini 
And so he's a super cool guy, very humble, so cool to talk to. Um, and one of the interesting tidbits that he told me, and I haven't published this on Auto Guide yet, but it's coming. So this is a We're scoop. We're getting the drop. <laughs> is that he used to, he has a, a huge classic car collection, obviously. And so he collects a lot of 911s because he used to work at Lamborghini. He used to have a lot of Lamborghinis, but he got rid of all of his Lamborghinis. What? Why would someone get rid of a whole bunch of Lamborghinis, especially because you can make more money by holding on to them? Mm -hmm. He thought that they were influencing his design decisions too much. No way. So he got rid of them because out of sight, out of mind. Wow. Wow. Yep. And I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I'd hate to be his partner. I mean, who knows where that's, where that's going to go. <laughs> Uh, wow, that's a really interesting decision. And the fact that he shared that and shares that openly yeah. is pretty wild too. And it was so cool because he it's its this whole philosophy of Genesis trying to do something different. And so he's like, you know, everyone's doing a wedge-shaped design. Right. And I don't want to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. So he and just as, got rid of it. <laughs> yeah, right. And as a lover of Italian cars and the Lamborghini world, I mean, yeah, there's, it's clear where some of that influence came from. Mm -hmm. Um, wow, that's pretty cool. Well, look forward to that story. There's uh, so many scoops coming from that one conversation that we had. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, so speaking of Auto Guide and getting a little bit of a scoop on the story, in 2018, are there any teasers? Is there anything that we can kind of look forward to, stay tuned for? Is there anything in particular that you want to share with everyone to um, to kind of you know put on our list and stay tuned for? Well, we're trying a new format for our YouTube videos. So we're just trying to have more fun with it and we're trying to make it more conversational. And so sooner or later, you're going to see like both Sammy and me in a car talking about the car and driving the car. Cool. And I think that will be a lot of fun because Sammy and I just joke about everything. Mm -hmm. And so nothing will be scripted, <laughs> which I love. I yeah, I know. It's awesome. <laughs> and so that's something exciting that we're working on. Um, I don't know. We always have cool stuff on the way. There's always cool cars to drive, um, like cool comparisons to do. <laughs> yeah. No, the comparisons I always find to be some of the most interesting content too. I mean, automakers hate it, obviously, right. because you clearly have to pick a side. But um, it's really cool because, uh, you know, that's kind of one of the, the questions that I have. This may kind of end, end up wrapping up our conversation, but in terms of where you see automotive journalism going, and you're talking about a new format for YouTube, um, you know, I'm always interested in the impact that independent bloggers, I mean, blogging, the term of blog is kind of an outdated term, but I feel like it's having a bit of a kind of uh, a bit of a resurgence in terms of the people that are using it and using it well these days. And then there's podcasting. And, um, you know, how, what's your view on all of it? Where do you, where do you see all of this going? I mean, I think the media landscape in general is going through a lot of serious changes right now. And I feel like if automotive doesn't move to keep up with it, it's just going to become irrelevant. And I don't think it's going to come to that point. I think there are enough players in the automotive sphere who are doing new things and there's new faces all the time and they're doing such a good job. Um, like you might know the straight pipes guys, Jacob Definitely. and yeah. I watch their stuff a lot and they're killing it right now. I know I've been, Hey guys, if you're listening, I've sent you a couple of messages. I'd love to have you on the show. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> they're so much fun to talk to as well. Yeah. Um, Jacob and, and Yuri. Yeah. Jacob right. and Yuri. So they're yeah. new ish and yeah. they're kind of causing a lot of ruckus in the industry because a lot of the, the old guard as I'll call them. I feel like they're really threatened. Like, totally. Who are these two kids who are coming in here and just 
killing it with content. They're doing such a good job too. And they really understand that balance between entertainment and informational. Mm -hmm. um, so kudos guys. I mean, yeah, you get a I real plug here. I learn a lot here. by watching them actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're right. I mean, that's, that's a, and especially as Canadian content, it's one of those things where sometimes you look at something and you go, it's from Canada. Right. And I, you know, no offense to the CBC crew because <laughs> I love you guys so much. Uh, and, but in the olden days, we'll call it that of especially TV content, you immediately saw a show and went, okay, it's a, you know, it's a CBC show. It's a That's budget. definitely changed yeah. in the, the amazing podcasts and awesome online content, but um it's nice with um you know with the straight pipes those guys um you'd never look at it and go they're canadian it's just fun no matter where you're from yeah. watching two guys it's, joke about cars it's it's irrelevant yeah you yeah. you don't even have to like cars to enjoy what they're talking about and right. it's that kind of accessibility that i was talking about earlier that i really want uh more of in this industry yeah and i think if if automotive journalism isn't excessive or excessive it's excessive if it's not accessible <laughs> right, yeah. we want it to be excessive yeah if it's, it's not fun. accessible then it it risks becoming irrelevant agreed that's such a good point point. and i don't yeah. think it's going to go that way but it's a risk yeah it is totally and um i mean i think that leads us really interestingly into one of the questions i like to to ask everybody who comes which is do you think that the kind of influx of new people coming into automotive and keeping automotive enthusiasm alive. And I said it before when we were talking about um, kudos to the guys at Driving While Awesome. You know, how do we stoke that fire of automotive enthusiasm in this new audience that's coming up? And I don't want to say a generation in particular, <laughs> but um, we all know who everyone talks about. Now, from what you're doing at Auto Guide and all the content you're producing, everything that you're seeing, even the angles that you're taking with certain stories or the editorial and the content, do you think that the youth are really less interested in automotive now or more so or less so than they ever have been? Or like, what are you seeing? Like, what's, what was that? What does your lens tell us? I don't think it's, it's changed. Um, I think they're interested in consuming automotive content, but just in a different way. So, you know, people aren't going to pick up the newspaper on the day the car section comes out and read it front to back and then send a polite, well-written letter to the editor. <laughs> this just doesn't happen anymore, right? Yeah, and so right, right. I think people are, and like young people and the dirty M word, which is millennials, mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. think The dirty M word. It's right. such a dirty word, <laughs> it is, right? It like I'm a millennial, word. but I don't like being called a millennial, I, right? So I it's one of those way. things. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, and millennials are still interested in cars. They're just interest. They they want a different way to consume it, mm -hmm. and that's not the same thing as not being interested in cars. Period. Right. Huh. As long as people will be interested in design and transportation, people will always be interested in cars. I think you're you're so right, and I mean, and that may that may um, kind of manifest itself in a form that isn't necessarily that person behind the wheel of a car, driving mm -hmm. a car um, that, you know, they may be more interested in, let's call it more um, kind of like metropolitan kind of settings where we might call a car, but we might have the choice to call a Honda or we might call uh, a Subaru, mm -hmm. we might call a GM product, but maybe someday that choice will be ours. And uh, although we may not be driving it, we're still going to be experiencing the drive. Right. And who knows what that ends up being. 
what I always like to say, though, is that if that ends up happening and this kind of autonomous world kind of comes in and car sharing is more a part of ownership than anything else, you you own a part of many different cars. Right. Um, is that the really cool roads that we all love to drive on, no one's going to be on anymore because it's not a straight line. It's not the most efficient way that a computer or yeah. an algorithm is going to send a vehicle. So. I'm all for it because if it means all the cool open roads that we love to drive on end up being for us, I I'm feel okay like that's with a that happy too. Place. But I mean, I, I think the best way to look at if if young people will like cars, I think they always like cars, is because there will always be that kid who sees a Lamborghini go by and they're like, "Wow, look at that!" and they're obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. And that's where it starts for yeah. most people is they see something on the street and then they decide right then and there, hey, I'm a car person now. <laughs> True. And you know what? The walls in every kid's room will still need to be filled with posters. Exactly. And there will be the need for that printed poster up somewhere um, of the higher education. And I know we all had it up. And <laughs> that that is like such a funny like little um, little you know moment in all of our automotive upbringing to a certain era. Um, and I feel like that'll always still exist. And if we can do cool things that make people want to put up that poster on their wall, I feel like we've done our job. That's what I want to be doing. Yep. Um, I think that's a really good place to end it. Um, so um, that's the end of episode 43. So Jody, thank you so much for coming by tonight. Thank um, you so much for having out. me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. And I, I, I say it to almost everybody, but I feel like we probably could have had a lot longer of a conversation. So I'm happy that everybody is stuck in there for this. Um, I hope that you'll come back because I feel I like we will to. always have lots to talk about. Um, for, those that you, that for those of you that are listening still at this point, I hope you are, please do subscribe, rate, review the show. It's really important for me. It helps me to make more content for all of you guys. Also, if you aren't already, follow us on the Bucket Seat, um, at the Bucket Seat on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Or if you want to get in touch with me, just email me at trevor at thebucketseat.ca. You can follow Jody on Instagram at drivingmissjody. Uh, or no, sorry, wait. Uh, you can follow Jody on Twitter at drivingmissjody and on Instagram at miss underscore Jody Lie for her stories on Instagram. But don't be fooled. It's not all about cars You will there. see zero car content on there. But Maybe 1%. <laughs> I do encourage you to go check it out because I think it is inspirational in a lot of ways that still ties back to cars and everything that makes us really love them. So um, yeah, this has been episode 43 of the Bucket Seat Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne. I'm here with the wonderful Jody Lie. Thank you very much and stay tuned.